for some of you, you're probably going, oh, now his shirt makes sense. <laughs> Chad's wearing a t-shirt on a Sunday morning. Don't tell Tim. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kind of. You know, when thinking about celebrating the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, there's so much information that's out there. And things like even this t-shirt and IMN uh, are a wonderful thing. But we're also going to look at sometimes how they can become uh, a negative thing uh, in some ways as well. Uh, I want us to look at what the scriptures have to say about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, and what does that really mean and how does that apply to our lives? And, you know, I don't know how they decided that this would be the time of year we'd celebrate International Day of Prayer uh, for the persecuted church. Uh, but it also falls close to Veterans Day every year. Um, and I think that it's neat that there's this tie for us as believers. And I'm not saying that military is equated the sacrifice that they make is equated to our, our, our faith in Christ and his sacrifice for us. Um, but I think it's good that we value and esteem and honor sacrifice. Um, but we live in a culture where there's so much information available regarding what's going on in the world around us that sometimes it can actually become a little bit of even a distraction for us. But we can have awareness of what's going on. And the video that I shared before I came up to preach is an example of that. That there are Christians around the world who right now are having this symbol painted on the doors of their homes because they are of the Nazarene, because they know Christ, and they are suffering for their faith. So I want to challenge us about these things this morning, but I don't want us to walk away simply saying, you know... Um, those poor people, if we walk away with an attitude of, oh, those poor Christians, then I've actually done us a disservice this morning. So I want us to see what the scriptures say about Christ's suffering. Let me uh, pray quickly as we get started. Father, as we sang about in our last song, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what Christ has done for us. Because of what he has done for us, we can come to your word and feast. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that this morning, to look to your word and to examine it carefully and closely. And, Father, that your truth and your word would impact us and that all other things would fall away, that all distractions would fall away, and we would be able to know you more intimately because of our time studying your word together this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we're simply going to scratch the surfaces of what God's word has to say about sharing in his sufferings and suffering uh, in general. And we're going to do that primarily through the words of Paul, a man who was intimately aware of suffering in his life. And our main passage of scripture is going to be Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Uh, and we're going to focus some of our time toward the end on that phrase, sharing in his sufferings and, and exploring uh, different passages throughout the New Testament that repeat that theme. Paul repeats that for us over and over again. But as I also alluded to, we're going to look at the dark underbelly of all of this information. 
we're going to look at the, the dark underbelly of the trappings of celebrating the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And perhaps if I go long today, you'll have a good story to tell about how you suffered for Jesus and endured a 45-minute message. And you didn't get to the restaurant until the whole crowd was there, and then you had to wait. And you didn't get home, and, and, you, and, and the roast you had in the oven was a little bit overcooked. And man, don't we suffer for Jesus. And I'm saying that a little bit facetiously, uh, but we're also going to look at that, how sometimes we equate our suffering um, in a very negative way. So open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter seven or chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're going to begin this morning by taking a quick look at context, because we know that context is everything when we're studying God's word together. And I think it's important for us to note that Paul is writing to the Philippian church regarding a very specific problem that they are facing. He's talking specifically in this passage of scripture about Judaizers. Now the Bible introduces us to the term Judaizers. It refers to this, to this group of Jewish-based believers who have come to know Christ as their savior but they've misunderstood and they've mixed up the combination of law and grace. And so some of them may not truly even have a, a, a true understanding of what grace means. And they may not truly even have an understanding of what the gospel means. And so they're truly not even born again. But we see this term where they're, where they're mixing these things up. And you see, at issue with the the Judaizers, and what was going on in the Philippian church was the heart of the gospel. And that is this, that our actions are meaningless apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. If we haven't surrendered our life to Christ, if we haven't put our faith and hope in Christ for our salvation, then the actions that we perform to please God do nothing to please him. You see, we still face this problem in our culture today. We face this problem even in good churches like ours. People think that going to church or sending their kids to Awana or participating at the Beacon of Hope or attending Bible studies on Tuesday mornings or getting up at 6 o'clock to study the Word before you go to work, all good things. But apart from Christ, those things are meaningless. In the book of Acts, the gospel took root among people who were by nature Jewish, Jewish in heritage. So everything about them was Jewish. And the church 
was this group of Jews who had put their faith in Christ as the Messiah. They understood that he was the promised Messiah that came to them. But they began to have these groups and these discussions and begin to add things to the gospel. And, and so we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter actually took the gospel to the Gentiles. And everything was fantastic at the beginning, except that it wasn't. You see, because Peter had to defend his actions to this Jewish group of, of believers because they thought that being a Christian meant being Jewish. And ultimately, in, in Acts 11, uh, Peter defended his actions, and he said, this is what God commanded me to do. Uh, I'm supposed to take this to them. Uh, there's a lot more that's going on there. But ultimately, it was understood and it was resolved that this was God's plan for the gospel. It was for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. And they began to understand it, and everything was all copacetic, except that it wasn't. And see, it oftentimes is that way with the gospel. We, we learn and we grow and we have this understanding and then, and then somebody comes in and they convince us of some of these, these lies and some of these mistruths and, and we go, oh yeah, but what about that? And doubt and fear creep in. And we, be got, we begin to apply things other than God's word to solve our problems. You see, this is a problem that would continue to pop up in New Testament churches. Most of the book of Galatians is written regarding this same uh, idea, this same struggle of, of, of how do we deal with these misunderstandings. You've got James talking about faith and works. Uh, we see it all throughout the New Testament. And that's why it's still a problem that we face today. We still are a people that desire to do something to add to our salvation. But there's nothing that we can do to add to our salvation. All of our works are filthy rags apart from the, the saving work of Christ on the cross for us. And that is the context that, that we see Paul speaking to the Philippian church. We must remind ourselves what Paul told them. He said, our confidence is in the spirit of God, not in our flesh. Look at verses 1 through 4 quickly with me. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's basically telling them, I don't, remind, I don't mind repeating myself here because this is really important and I want you to understand this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in flesh. There's people out there who are trying to have this works-based salvation, and you should have nothing to do with that. We are people of the circumcision, but then he says, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We have to understand that background information. It is essential for us to frame our understanding of the passage of scripture that we're going to study today. We need to know that God is concerned with our hearts, not simply the outward acts we perform for him. We preach that, we teach that, we talk about that, but the reality is, is that our human nature constantly is wanting to be drawn back to something that I can do to please God. And it was the same way for the Philippian church. And, and Paul's saying, no, that is not don't be drawn back to that. Be drawn back to the gospel. We worship by the Spirit of God. And so our second point this morning, really getting into the meaning, the understanding of our text, is that we need to weigh, we need to be weighing the value of Christ in a culture of consumerism. As we 
turn to our main focus this morning, I want us to see that Paul draws our attention to a stark contrast. Our passage is a prime example of Paul using contrast to highlight his main point for us. And, you know, in Sunday school, the teens are, uh, we're going through a series on how to study the Bible. And we're looking at literary structure and some of those kinds of things and uh, how it helps us to interpret and to understand Scripture uh, better. And, and they've been learning how to use some of these skills. And let me tell you, they're really good. So I, I'm hoping that, that I can highlight for us just a little bit on how some of these things can apply to our lives. And see, if you were, if you were the teens, I'd probably tell you that the technical term for what Paul's going to use is antithetical parallelism. And they would know what that means. I won't ask for a show of hands on how many people here know what that means. Uh, but, and that's okay. They're a really smart group. Um, but antithetical parallelism is essentially this. Paul is making a contrasting argument. He's going to use two different terms repeatedly. He's going to contrast these two different ideas in these two different ter- terms to help us to get to the main point in the main understanding of this passage of Scripture. Paul is going to help us draw a conclusion from using contrasting opposite terminology to understand what he's really trying to bang through the Philippians' thick skulls. You see, simply being aware that this is what Paul's doing helps us to know and to understand and to illuminate the meaning of this passage of Scripture. And, and, and sometimes even just knowing that someone is using contrast or, parallel antith- or antithetical parallelism or, or whatever, just knowing that that's there, all of a sudden then you, when you reread something, you're like, oh man, look at all the contrasts that are in that passage of Scripture. I didn't even notice some of those things until I knew that that's what he was doing, and it really draws some of those things out. So I'm going to reread our passage of Scripture, and I just want your mind to be thinking about contrasting words and phrases and begin to highlight some of those things in your own mind. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Hopefully as I'm reading through that, your mind's going bing, 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 because they're all over in that passage of Scripture. There is so many terms that, that are, are supposed to be direct opposites for us, and our brain should immediately, when we're reading something like that, begin to notice those things. First, it says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss. We're going to explore this a little bit more later, but the whole idea of gain and loss is one of the all primary structures that Paul is using in this passage of Scripture. And, and we're going to look in great deal about what that gain is because if you just scratch the surface of it, you think, oh, well, you know, what is it benefit to me? And Paul wants us to go much deeper than that. He wants us to have a much more full understanding of that. So we see that contrasting term of gain and loss, which we will continue to explore. But then we also see the surpassing worth of Christ versus all things. And and, and in that comparison, Paul even takes it a step further. He says, on one hand, we have the surpassing worth of Christ, and then we have all things, and then he refers to them as rubbish. 
The term rubbish there literally means like excrement or food waste. It's something that has absolutely zero value, zero use. And I know if you're a farmer, you're thinking, well, cows, we have a use for theirs. We make our neighbor's yard stinky. <laughs> but in their culture, it was, it was unthought of to use uh, waste. And, and, and they would usually put it outside the city walls because it had zero value. Uh, it had no use for them. So, so Paul gives us this contrast, and he says, on one hand, you have the surpassing worth of Christ, and on the other hand, you have junk, meaninglessness, worthlessness. And in that category of meaninglessness and worthlessness, he says, all things are that compared to Christ. And then he says that I counted my gain as lost for the sake of Christ, on one hand, that I may gain Christ. On the other hand, see, this is an interesting contrast here because on one hand, we're, we're, anything that we are doing is for the sake of Christ, but it's so that I may gain Christ. On the other hand, Christ is both the one who does the work for us and he is our gain. We do anything that we do for his sake, but he himself is our reward. You see, we can't have anything that is of great value, of greater value in this world than Christ himself. That's the main thought of this passage. And so then, then when he then gets into these terms of righteousness, he says, you know, I used, to, I used to have a righteousness of my own. But he contrasts that with the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Now remember, we, many of us here know who Paul is. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was in the cultural elite. He had all these things going for him. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was somebody that, would, that was seen to seek out and destroy Christians so that he could gain esteem and value and worth. And in our vernacular, we could say he had it all. And he says that I had this self-righteousness, but it was worthless. It was meaningless. It was nothing. But what I learned is that the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith, that is what is of the greatest value for us. Our righteousness is worthless. Again, we get back to that theme that he used to address the Judaizers. Whatever you do, your works will not save you. It's only Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We know that, that in Christ we have a righteousness that is an alien righteousness. Scripture describes it as. It's a righteousness from outside of us because it comes only through Jesus Christ and faith in him. But you, so we see all these contrasts, and, and, and sometimes it's really good to look at things from a little bit different angle. So we're going to go back to that concept of gain and loss. 
We're going to emphasize gain and loss because Paul uses um, accounting terms, essentially. He's, he's creating a ledger for us. Maybe you're a person that when you need to make a decision, you're like, okay, list all the pros, list all the cons, and whatever one comes out best. Paul's essentially helping us to do that here. I'm not advocating that that's the spiritual way to act or the spiritual way to make a decision, but it is a legitimate way to make a decision, and it can help you. It can be of benefit, and so it is of benefit here for us. We're going to look at what you give versus what you get. And if, and if you think about this as you would an economy, this is the money that comes in, this is the money that goes out. That's the terminology that Paul is creating here for us. And the first thing that we give, Paul says that he gave his worldly value. And, in, and that's, again, in verses 5 and 6, we see that he was circumcised, that he was zealous, that he was a Pharisee, that he was righteous according to the law. He was all those things that we talked about. And Paul says, even though that was something that I should rightly be allowed to have, this is something I've earned, this is something I deserve. He says, I'm going to give that up. I'm going to give up the worldly value, the esteem, the honor and all that goes with it. Quite literally, when Paul says that, that he gave up everything, he's not exaggerating. Paul had all of those things. He had the world by the tail. He was elite. And he decided that that was not worth it. He would be willing to give that up. Because he had access to being one of the rulers, one of those in charge, one of the ones that everybody would want to come and to know. He had a life of privilege, but he left that life. He gave that up for the sake of the gospel so he could take the name of Christ to people who did not know him. He left all of his Jewish heritage behind and went to Gentiles, people that he would have referred to as dogs previously. He would have wanted to have no relationship with them. But he gave up all that he had been given and earned for the sake of the gospel. He went and worked and made tents so that he could have a living, so that he could present the gospel to people who hadn't heard it. Ultimately, we know that he suffered from persecution. He, he would be sent to jail. He would be put in chains. He would be put under house arrest. We know that this is a Paul who understands suffering. So when he says that, that he was willing to suffer the loss of all things and that he gave everything, he is not exaggerating. He counted all of those earthly things as rubbish. But then there's a beautiful exchange that happens here. When we are willing to give these things for Christ and, and with, a, with a life that is committed to Christ, there is gain that comes with it. There's things that we get. First and foremost, we get to be found in him. You know, there's great beauty and imagery in all different portions of the scripture. But I love the parable of the 99 and the one lost sheep that Jesus shares with us. Jesus, being the good shepherd, talks about the shepherd who has 100 sheep and, and 99 of them are just fine, but there's the one that's lost and he is willing to leave behind 99 and pursue the one who is lost. 
You and I are that lost sheep until we come to know Christ as our Savior. And God himself sent Christ to pursue us so that we could have eternal life in Christ. And there's such beauty in knowing that we have a God who desires to seek and save the lost. We can be found in Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, we pursue meaningfulness in our lives all the time. And, and so many of our struggles in our society and in our culture are because people are trying to find their worth and their value in their jobs and in their, their families and in the things that they do. And you don't have to spend but two minutes on social media to know that people are trying to convince you how valuable their life is. If Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever that might be, and now some of you are the older generation going, I know that's not that's why I don't do those things because those are not good. Well, what about your white picket fences and your perfectly pristine lawns and your immaculate flower gardens? We all do it. It's just that the younger generation's more efficient at it. <laughs> They've created technology that makes it easier to tell everybody how amazing they are. We all want to find our value and worth in something. But our only value and worth can be found in him. And we need to remember that. All that stuff is rubbish. It's temporary. It's meaningless. It's only in Christ that we need to be found. We gain the ability to be found in him. And beyond that, then, we also gain a righteousness not our own. And man, that is just such a beautiful thing because we know that we need a righteousness that's not our own. If every one of us are honest with ourselves, we know the thoughts and the desires of our hearts. And even if you are the most amazing guy or girl in this, in this auditorium this morning, you know that in the quiet of your heart, you lust, you covet, you lie. You will do whatever makes you appear the best. We all struggle with the sins of the flesh. And that's, that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 is such a beautiful passage of Scripture that God made him, Jesus, him who knew no sin, the perfect one, from eternity past, perfect, sent him to live on the earth perfectly. He made him who knew no sin to be nailed on that cross, to be sin for us, so that my sin, your sin, could be forgiven and that we could put our faith and our hope in him and that in that great exchange that we could become the righteousness of God. We have a righteousness that's not our own and that is a beautiful thing. But we also get to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because of that righteousness that is not our own, because of that, that holiness that doesn't belong to us, because of the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to, per, per, to purchase for us, we have the ability to know Christ and his resurrection. Oh, the power that is there, the power of sin and death. And it doesn't belong to us, and we can't earn it through our actions. It's only because of Christ. And that power gives us in him the power over death. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done in us. 
So we see these, these beautiful accounting terms. And we see this, this contrast, the contrast of law and faith that's in there too. We see the contrast of death and resurrection that's in there. We see the, the, the contrast of power and suffering that, that's found in our passage of Scripture. And all of those things, the accounting terms, the contrast, every little bit of it is to point us to the fact that Jesus is worth everything. It doesn't matter what we give up. Jesus is worth everything. That's the main point of this passage of Scripture, is that no matter what you may endure, no matter what you may be facing, no matter what obstacle or struggle may be in your life, Christ is worth it all. And we need to remind ourselves about that, because it doesn't matter what we give up, we get Jesus. And that's enough. Jesus is enough. But then Paul adds this very peculiar phrase. That without understanding the context of Jesus' immaculate worth and value, without understanding that we give these things up but we get him, this phrase would seem so out of place. We get to share in Jesus' sufferings. Ultimately, this includes sharing in his death and resurrection. This includes... Why did Jesus have to suffer? We should ask ourselves, why did Jesus have to suffer when we see a phrase like that in Scripture? And the answer is so that you and I could know Christ as our Savior, so that we could be found in him, so that we could have a righteousness that's not our own, so that we could know the power, uh, his power of his resurrection. That's why Christ had to suffer. His pain, his suffering, his separation from the Father when his Father turned his face away was so that our redemption could be purchased by his blood. And it's in that, that that we then begin to understand then how does, does our sufferings, how do we get to participate in his sufferings? How do we get to be part of his sufferings? How do we share in his sufferings? And, you know, sometimes maybe everybody else's kids don't act like this. But sometimes kids will say things like, oh, we have to. And I'll respond with, no, we get to. We, we get to take out the you know, trash. We get to do the laundry. We get to mow the, the yard. And, and there's a little bit of sarcasm in there. But, but the reality is, is that in this passage of Scripture, that's the concept, but it's not sarcasm. It's, it's a, we give these things up, and we get to have Jesus. And that is sufficient. And so we get to then share in his sufferings. And that means that you and I and believers around the world have the opportunity that by our living for Christ in a culture that is opposed to him and by suffering persecution, we get to shed and share the light of Christ in the dark corners of this world. And that is a beautiful thing that we get to share in his Sufferings. In that way, our sufferings are a demonstration of the reason that Christ came to die. Because there is evil in this world, because there is oppression, because there are horrible things that take place, you and I get to share in the sufferings of Christ and share the beauty of what he has done for us. See, Romans 8, 8 through 8, 18 that I brought up earlier tells us this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Colossians 1.24, we find this term that we get to complete his suffering because he died for us so that we could be saved and now we have the opportunity to suffer so that others can be saved. In that sense, we get to complete his suffering. And we see this theme all throughout Paul's writing. We see it in Romans uh, we, and, and I alluded to Colossians, and we see it again in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11, it says, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may that's so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. As believers in Christ, the life, the work, the glory of all that Jesus accomplished should be evident in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we suffer for him. That is ultimately why sharing in his suffering is a good thing. In fact, it is the best thing because it means that our life is pointing to the one who is worth everything. But we live in a peculiar age, as I said at the beginning. We have access to so much information. We've got t-shirts and we've got jelly bracelets that talk about every single cause in the world. And this is a beautiful thing because it brings awareness of the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. But it can also create a unique set of problems for us as well. And so we're going to close by looking at the dangers of sharing in his sufferings incorrectly. My shirt is exhibit A. This is a beautiful thing. If we use it as an opportunity to know what's going on in the world around us. But if I just go, oh, hey, check out my cool shirt. I'm really cool and Jesus loves me better because I have a, a, a noon symbol on my uh, shirt. I've missed the point. Oh, look at all these jelly bracelets. Oh, look at all these prayer bulletins that I have. That's not it. You see, we are called to also share the sufferings of our brothers and sisters around the world. I actually got this shirt uh, from the Voice of the Martyrs when we hosted their conference. They, uh, they gave it to me, and, and I was wearing it the day of the conference for a little bit. And somebody came up to me, and they're like, oh, you know, they asked me a question. And I'm like, oh, actually, they just gave me this shirt. I'm not with them. And they're like, oh, man, I'd really like one of those shirts. And I, I said, oh, well, you know, they do have a resource table where they're selling things in the gym. And they said, man, 20 bucks is really too much to spend on a T-shirt. I said, but, you know, it, it kind of helps the persecuted church around the world. And they're like, yeah. And I walked away really discouraged from that conversation. I, here was this young college-age man, and I get it. College money, money's tight. College students, money's tight. Um, but he, he wanted the cool shirt, but he didn't want to give the $20, which would actually be used to help the persecuted church around the world. And he was at a free conference to draw his attention to the persecution and, and how we as brothers and sisters in Christ can, can reach out to one another. Um, and it just reminded me that, you know what? There is a temptation uh, for you and I to wear our suffering on our sleeves. We wear our persecution like a badge. Ultimately, it's kind of like the red badge of courage, right? For those of you who were forced to or enjoyed reading that story growing up, you know, we, it, the character has this wound which is covered and he starts to kind of get all this attention to it. Well, he got the wound while he was retreating. But then all of a sudden it becomes like this status symbol. 
you know, we shouldn't be wearing our Christian symbols as status symbols. This can be a great reminder for me to pray for the believers in Mosul and around the world that ISIS is, is persecuting. And, and it can be a reminder for me to say, hey, to others when they go, hey, what's your shirt? It's an opportunity for me to talk about the God who is worthy of all of this. But if it's a status symbol, if it's a badge that I wear, then I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting my energy, I'm wasting my efforts. And I'm not using correctly a tool for the kingdom that I could be using for God's honor and glory. So, so one of the temptations that we face is that we oftentimes will wear our persecuted items like a badge. But also, we have the temptation to sensationalize persecution. Now, it's a fairly easy thing to do because there's some pretty, when you look at things going around around the world, I mean, you look at it and you go, oh my goodness, are you serious? I mean, this is worse than any movie script that anybody could possibly imagine. And these things are happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, but it's a short, it's a short walk to go from concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world to just swapping horror stories about the awful things that people that aren't Christians are doing. Don't allow yourself to, to buy into the, the idea that the next big tragedy is, is better than this tragedy. It's actually created a term um, that sociologists use. It's called clicktivism. Again, the younger generation with their clicking and their emailing and their Twittering and their Facebooking it's been a beautiful thing that this information gets disseminated. But sometimes people are like, okay, well, I've shared this post, and that's my, that's my contribution to the cause. And, and so it's, it's made, this, this clicktivism term is made from people who are clicking their mouse and activism. So it's clicktivism. And they feel like, oh, well, as long as I'm sharing these things on my Twitter and my Instagram, I've done my part. Oh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, there's so much more that we can do. We need to share in the sufferings with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And it's more than just letting it be known. We need to be storming the throne of grace for them. We need to pray, be praying that, that their suffering would not be in vain, but that God would use it to glorify himself, that he would accomplish what Christ came to do on the cross in their lives as they suffer for the kingdom. You see, because it needs to be more than just sensationalism and political activism. It needs to be about God and his glory. But there's also a, ten a tendency and a temptation for you and I to rel relativize persecution. You know, um, I, I began by joking that I was going to be preaching a little bit longer, and, and right now some of you are realizing that I wasn't joking. I was being honest, and you're like, oh, this is, I am suffering for Jesus. But jokingly, sometimes we, we equate the suffering that we do to the suffering that they're facing. And I am not minimizing the suffering or the persecution that you and I may face. It is real, and it's growing in our culture. It's getting worse and worse. But I don't think anyone here has had their home burned. I don't think anyone here has had their child kidnapped and beheaded. I don't think anybody, any of their children down in the children's wing have, have become orphans because their mother and, and father were slaughtered. There's, there's, a, there's a whole different level of, of persecution that they face. And, and we shouldn't say that yours and mine is exactly the same. I'm not minimizing ours, but it's not. 
the same. And it's true that Christianity is losing its privileged position in our culture and in most Western cultures. But that doesn't mean that we should say that we are suffering the same way as our brothers and sisters around the world who live with daily fear and poverty and the loss of everything for the cause. We're, ca we're called to share in the sufferings of Christ, but let's not give the appearance that what we're going through is identical to what they're going through. And that leads us to our final temptation, the temptation to demonize persecution. You know, sometimes we get caught up in talking about persecution to the extent that, that we make it horrible and a, a terrible, terrible thing. And I'm not saying that the suffering that they endure isn't. But God has a plan for it. And we cannot lose sight of that. We get to suffer for Christ. And that is not sarcasm. That is not facetiousness. That is what Scripture tells us. We should expect persecution. We should long to, to love Jesus so much because he is worth it that nothing else matters. You see, a day like today isn't about gathering information. It should be about getting involved, sacrificing of our time, our energy, our money, our resources to share in the sufferings of Christ because he's worth it. Whether we're suffering, whether it's our brothers and we can share in their suffering, whether it's uh, our church that's suffering, whether it's the, the people in this body that's suffering, we have a unique opportunity to declare the value and worth of Christ in our culture and in cultures around the world as we share in Christ's suffering. I'm going to close with a quote from Warren Wearsby. And he says, People who live for things are never really happy because they must constantly protect their treasures and worry lest they lose their value. Not so the believer with the spiritual mind. His treasures in Christ can never be stolen and they can never lose their value. My hope is that you'll treasure Christ more than anything this morning. And if you do, that gives you the opportunity to be involved with things like IMN. And if you want information about that, man, the information is out there. It can be a great prayer prompt for you. In the foyer, we have a table that is set up, and it, and, it, and it has next to it a map that says, I commit to pray, that's from the Voice of the Martyrs Conference. And, and you can put your name on an area of the country and commit to pray to that. You can get bracelets and bands. You can be part of our World Missions prayer meeting that meets tonight after our evening service. You could join us tonight for an extended time of prayer in our evening service about the persecution that people are facing in this world. There's action packs at that table from the Voice of the Martyrs where you could, could send uh, a packet that will encourage and spiritually nourish our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's kids' prayer cards. There's adult prayer cards. There's family devotion packs that can help you to begin to explain persecution to our kids because I think they need to know what's going on. All of that is available to us. But we have to choose... Is Jesus worth our time? Is he worth our efforts? Is he worth our energy? And let me tell you this morning, he is. He is always worth it. Let's pray.
Father, we live in a culture where it's so easy to be caught up in ourselves. Remind us this morning, Lord. Encourage us to continue to dwell on all that Christ has done for us. Help us to to see his absolute value and worth, his insurpassable, matchless worth every day in our lives. And may we make decisions about our activities, about our resources, about the tools that you have given us in our lives. May we make decisions that reflect his value and his worth to us so that you might be glorified when others come to you for salvation. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.